the Pittsburgh Steelers are highly unlikely to make the playoffs this year. And they are also determined to not have a high draft pick. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Pittsburgh Steelers are a team that really aren't in the hunt right now. It would take an incredible run through the end of this season and some pretty serious collapses by teams in front of them for the Steelers to make a playoff push and make the playoffs this year. But the Steelers, even when they're not focused on this year, are not going to enter a tank mode. A mode where they look to lose games in order to get better draft picks. No matter how enticing that is to fans, to myself, to anyone, even some of the team executives may have that kind of fancy. It is not going to be how the Steelers operate. And that's not a bad thing. Winning is something you have to learn. Winning is a team skill. The culture, the atmosphere, the leadership on your team has to know how to win. Football cannot be won like in uh, a game of Madden or in fantasy football where you just take a bunch of talented players, put them together, and boom, win. They have to learn how to win together as a team. You can see this other places. How many incredibly talented rosters have have the Browns put together only to see players not play well together? Only to see the team struggle? See adversity hit and the team falls apart? The Steelers are not that team. And they don't want to be that kind of team. So this season has become about teaching the team they have, which is a young team, especially this offense, how to win. That's what the Steelers are doing right now. They're trying to get this team to learn how to win, to be better than the sum of its parts. And we're seeing that start to show up. It's a a big part of it is the Steelers aren't facing as good teams right now. These teams are not the greatest teams. Not definitely not that nasty, nasty, brutal stretch they had before the bye week. This is the easier part of their schedule, but also the team is playing better. And I want to start with a basic stat here. When Kenny Pickett throws 30 or fewer passes, the Steelers are undefeated. They are 3-0. When Kenny Pickett starts and throws 30 or fewer passes, the only win the Steelers have that's not in those three is the first game of the year against the Bengals. All their other wins involved a start from Kenny Pickett and him throwing 30 or fewer passes. When he throws 31 or more passes in a game, the Steelers are 0-4. You can try and take judgments away from that on Kenny Pickett, but before you do, I I want you to be aware of the stat for Ben Roethlisberger. In his first three seasons of football, 
regular season and playoffs, Ben Roethlisberger was 33-4 and four when he threw 30 or fewer times. 33-4. and four. When he threw more than 30 times, the Steelers were 1-8. and eight. And Ben Roethlisberger lost the first six games of his career where he threw more than 30 times. As you can imagine, if you know Ben, if you are familiar and remember Ben Roethlisberger's rookie season, he went undefeated in the regular season and won a playoff game. His loss to the New England Patriots that year in the FC Championship game is one of his losses where he threw fewer than 30 times. Ben Roethlisberger did not throw 31 passes in a game in his entire rookie season. Kenny Pickett's already done it four times. It's a different situation. Teams that win don't throw the ball as much. And there's a lot to this, right? If you're winning, you run the ball more to to keep the clock moving. Incomplete passes are, are, you know, your opponent's best friend in that situation. Also, teams that run the ball more effectively and run more because of it win more. You have more balance. Everything becomes harder to defend when you run better. Quarterbacks who are efficient and effective. If you have a high yards per attempt as a quarterback, you're probably not throwing as much. Simply because you don't need as many throws to get down the field. In the same way, if you throw for 11 yards on first down, You've moved 11 yards with one pass. If you throw an incomplete pass on first down, an incomplete pass on second down, and then throw a complete pass and convert a third down for 11 yards, well, you gained 11 yards. In both those situations, you have a first down 11 yards farther than where you started. One of them, you've thrown one pass. The other, you've thrown three. Just an idea of how there's so many factors going both ways at this equation, right? But the point is, ineffective teams throw more. Effective teams throw less. If you take Ben Roethlisberger's last two seasons with the Steelers, he only had four games where he threw 30 or fewer passes. The Steelers were 4-0 and in those games. They didn't lose a game his last two seasons when, he, when Ben Roethlisberger threw 30 or fewer passes. When they threw... When he threw more than 30, he was 17 and 12. Now, obviously, a veteran quarterback can be relied on to throw more and get you better results. That's part of it. But also, it continues. Effective offenses throw the ball less because you're moving the ball without having to throw a whole bunch of times to do it. If you're throwing the ball a ton of times, you're not doing it efficiently. If you go back to 2018, Ben Roethlisberger led the NFL in attempts and yards. He also had a lot of interceptions. as his yards per attempt were lower than most of the rest of his career. They weren't moving the ball as effectively. Other teams were scoring on the Steelers' defense. He had to try and come up with drives. The Steelers currently have been throwing less. In the loss to Buffalo, Kenny Pickett threw 52 passes 
And the loss to Miami, he threw 44. The loss to Philadelphia, he threw 38. This most recent loss to Cincinnati, Kenny Pickett played better, but he still had to throw 42 times because the Cincinnati Bengals scored 37 points. The three wins he's had, one is the Tampa Bay game where he left early. If you look at the stats for that game, Mitchell Trubisky came in for Kenny Pickett and threw 12 passes. That's a total of 30 attempts, so I counted it as a win. Uh, Kenny Pickett started. He threw 18 passes. The Steelers threw less than 30. Threw 30 exactly, sorry. he did. They didn't throw more than 30. Won the game. Uh, the other two, New Orleans, Indianapolis. Those also have things in common of not having interceptions. Kenny Pickett has developed a lot here. He's still a rookie. We still need to keep him from being the focus of this offense in order for him to have good success. But he is improving. On film, he looks better. He's gone three games without throwing an interception. That's not bad. That's that's really not bad at all. To compare him to Ben Roethlisberger again, Ben Roethlisberger had one three-game stretch in his rookie season in which he did not throw an interception, and that's it. He threw, you know, it was just scattered around. He had a two-game stretch, a one-game stretch, and a three-game stretch, and that's it. He threw interceptions in most of his games. The... The growth we're seeing from Kenny Pickett is we're seeing him, let me put it this way, we've seen him go from a quarterback who was out there taking chances, playing like it was college football, throwing seven interceptions in not that, in far too many, far too few attempts for the number of interceptions he threw. Then we saw him get more conservative. And we saw him try less slinging the ball around Uh, more effective, more taking care of the football. What we saw this game was Kenny Pickett starting to ramp up the playmaking aspect of his game. That knack for scrambling around and hitting a ball downfield, hitting something, you know, making a play where there really wasn't much of a play. We're seeing him turn that up while protecting the football. We are seeing Kenny Pickett grow in front of us. He had his longest air yards completion of the season on a throw to George Pickens. We're seeing him start to be able to push the ball downfield more. This is a quarterback who's starting to get comfortable. We're seeing him do a better job of evading pressure in the pocket. I think that has a lot to do with learning his offensive line. The offensive line has stayed pretty consistently, you know, the same players. Switching off of Kenny Pickett to that offensive line, what an incredible stat line we had against Indianapolis where both Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane Jr. averaged five yards a carry for this game. The two years before this, They both averaged 3.2 yards per rush. Today, they both came in for their first game, 5 yards per carry. 
the offensive line doing a lot better, giving them places to run. You saw them second-guessing themselves less. In fact, that's really where Najee Harris turned his running around, was he started second-guessing the blocking less and just hitting holes. When the offensive line isn't giving you holes to run through, the job of the running back is to try and improvise and gain yards anyway. That becomes a habit that you have to break to be an effective running back when there actually are holes, when there actually are places to run. We're seeing that happen. We're seeing this offensive line really come together and they're not great, okay? Don't don't get me wrong. This is not at all anywhere close to the line we saw with Le'Veon Bell, to the line we saw in Ben's early career, 2004 to 2007. Nothing like those lines. But they are solid. They're coming together. They're playing well enough. They're giving this team, this offense, a chance to actually function. And the offense is functioning. It's pretty good. One more thing I wanted to cover. Uh, Deontay Johnson in this game. Deontay Johnson looked better. And I've heard people say he played better. And it he looks better on film. It feels like he played better. And then I go look at his stat line, at what he actually, what, what that, you know, film actually results to. And you have a player under 10 yards per reception with a long of 11 yards and a guy who still doesn't have a catch rate at 70. It's still in the 60s. Five for eight, 49 yards, a long of 11. Uh, that drop in the end zone was was bad. It's a you don't want to drop those. You you want to score touchdowns, Deontay. Uh, it didn't hurt the team because they picked it up anyways. But he, what felt like a pretty solid game from Deontay Johnson, really wasn't good. Six yards per target. That's you know, better than what we've been seeing. That's better than what he's been doing with Kenny Pickett, but that's still bad. That's still really bad. You compare it uh, to George Pickens, who is at like nine yards, over nine yards per target, and has been at over nine yards per target for, for the whole time he's been playing here with Kenny Pickett. Pickens and Pickett have a 9.6 yards per attempt. Every time Kenny Pickett throws to George Pickens, he averages 9.6 yards gained. That's that's good. That's really good. That's Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger territory good. And these guys are just getting started. When you look at Deontay Johnson... Kenny Pickett and Deontay Johnson are actually under nine yards per completion and are at 5.4 yards per attempt. So, yeah, a little over six is better than what we've been seeing. Him and Kenny Pickens have have been doing better than they were earlier in the season since the bye week. 
but it's not even remotely close to good. It was like Colby Hamilton, 2016 type numbers, just with a lot more targets. It's it's something to watch. I, I've said it before. Uh, the sweet spot for his career so far, Deontay Johnson, has been around five to seven targets. He got eight this time. It's too many. He's not really a number one receiver. He is. He has a skill set to be a receiver who eats a volume of targets, and that's how he's being used. But he's not effective or efficient in that role. He really should be your support option for a number one receiver who can make plays downfield. You want to pair him with a guy who really is kind of a beast of a receiver, who who gets you chunk yardage, who gets you consistent catches. And then he's the guy who's always open if you need him to dump off to. That's really who Deontay Johnson is as a receiver. And it's kind of sad because we'd like him to be more than that. You know, the number of targets he gets per game, the amount that the Steelers are paying for him, his route running, you'd expect him to be a guy who can turn that route running into better production than what we've seen. But right now, that's it. I also want to point out one more last thing. Uh, You've probably noticed it watching the game. Uh, The best way I can show it is with statistics. But right now, (laughs) oh man, the Steelers only have two wide receivers. Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. They traded Chase Claypool. They're still playing other receivers. Those guys got around, like the Steelers played three receivers this week. It was less than normal, but it was around 50% still. If you look at what the Steelers are doing with those receivers, right? If you look at what they were doing, 50% of the snaps there, they accounted for four targets and 11 yards passing. The three wide receivers who ate up, you know, more more targets than George Pickens got. George Pickens had... Uh, 54 snaps in this game. Steve, Steven Sims, Gunnar Olszewski, and Cody White combined for 55 snaps. Right? Four targets, 11 yards. 55 snaps. Gunnar Olszewski's jet sweep, which was the only jet sweep of the game, gained nine yards. Teams facing the Steelers don't have to worry about their number three receiver. You can dump your worst player on the field on them and not worry about them. They barely get targeted, and when they do, they don't gain much. If we look at the wide receivers on the season, who are not named George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, or Chase Claypool, they've accounted for 79 yards on 17 targets on 285 snaps. If you take that 285 snaps and compare it to the running back room, all running backs not named Najee Harris together have fewer snaps than 285. Okay? So Jalen Warren, Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland all combined fewer than 285 snaps. 
Those running backs have 154 receiving yards on 21 targets. That's almost double the production of the Steelers' backup wide receivers. Their depth receivers behind Johnson and Pickens. Four more targets, 75 more yards. When you're playing extra receivers that much, you need more production from them. You need something from them. Watch the games. What what threat do they offer? They don't. Steven Simmons and Gunnar Olszewski run jet sweeps. Most of, most of that production, that 79 yards, a huge chunk of it was one pass to Gunnar Olszewski in garbage time. And that's it. They really haven't done anything. All right, that is it for the first half of the show. The team, the offense, for so much good we're seeing, there's so much, so much not good, right? There's so much opportunity to be better. It's going to be interesting to see how they do that going forward in the rest of the season and how they address these positions after the season. That is the first half of our show. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, talk about the Steelers' defense. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. Today we're talking about a team that is learning to win and yet has real flaws. First half, we talked about the offense. Now we need to talk about this defense. Robert Splane didn't play this week. Bells and whistles going off. Yee-hoo. Maybe the Steelers will be able to cover somebody with their linebackers. All that happens is the uh, Colts... <laughs> the Colts' tight ends dominate the action on offense for the Colts. It, it was the tight ends. I mean, the Steelers' defensive backs aren't exactly great, but it was the tight ends, especially late in the game, that were allowing the Colts to, to put pressure on the Steelers. Really make that game competitive. Devin Bush played the entire game. Miles Jack is limited in coverage. He has to be protected. They were able to protect him less this game. Because there are times they will just simply put Devin Bush and Robert Spillane on the field. And give Miles Jack a break because it's a passing down. Without Robert Spillane, we did see fewer... Busted coverage, fewer guys wide open. Matt Ryan was still able to hit them. They had a step on Devin Bush, a step on uh, a step or two on Miles Jack. 
I, I don't know what to do there. I, like, I really don't know what the solution is there because you have a pretty good duo of linebackers. The interesting thing is normally in these type of situations where you have tight ends causing the Steelers problems, the solution is Terrell Edmonds. Terrell Edmonds played a lot this game. But he didn't cover tight ends a lot this game. That's interesting to me because one of the things you would you would think this three safety group would allow you to do is play Terrell Edmonds more like a linebacker. And they did that a bit this game. But the Steelers were very clearly worried about the run game. They did not want Jonathan Taylor to get going. Consistently showed that. That was their focus. Terrell Edmonds was mostly used in run support this game, which is, it's baffling to me when you have a safety being primarily used as an in-the-box run defender and not covering the tight end, covering running backs, Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield, stuff like that. They could have... I don't know. I, 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 it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, you would think Devin Bush would be better covering Jonathan Taylor and Terrell Edmonds could cover the tight end. I don't know. What, one thing this defense did to this game uh, was it, it looked different. This is one of the first games where I've really looked at where they've been healthy. They have TJ Watt. They have you know their three safeties. Uh, they have their players. Both of their starting linebackers didn't rotate Spillane in, but they still, you know, could consistently play the two linebackers. They have their defensive line. They have their edge rushers. Most of their cornerbacks have their three safeties. This team, for the first time healthy, looked very different than a Keith Butler defense. There was a lot that looked more like Brian Flores. So it, w- it was a little harder to evaluate this on first watch because there's a lot of stuff that was just like, what are the Steelers doing? This, one, this It's not what I'm used to seeing, right? It's not what I'm used to seeing on film. I'm much more used to Keith Butler and how he ran this team, how he ran this defense. I will also like to note that we're seeing T.J. Watt get pressures. We're seeing the Steelers' defense get pressure. We're not seeing them get home on these pass rushes. This is not an uncommon thing in the NFL. This is the normal NFL. We are seeing what a good pass rush looks like for the rest of the NFL. We're not used to it because we're used to Keith Butler's pass rushes where a quarterback has people flying in unblocked at him, uh, pressure from everywhere and contained. There's nowhere for him to escape. Matt Ryan was able to escape the pocket. There was pressure. They didn't get to him. It's a very different experience. And I think Steeler fans are going to have to get used to it because it wasn't just T.J. Watt. Keith Butler is one of the best pass rush coordinators. Ignore his coverage schemes. They were terrible. 
He didn't know what he was doing with coverage. That's not his. That's not his wheelhouse, right? He he was a pass rush, a blitz coordinator, a pass rush coordinator, and he's been great at that his whole career. Going all the way back to college, where he put his name on the map, uh, drawing up a three-four defense with a zone blitz to throw off Peyton Manning when Peyton Manning was at Tennessee. Big upset. Big upset over Peyton Manning because of his pass rush design. That's how he got it to the NFL. That's why the Steelers hired him to be their linebackers coach. All the way that long ago. Moving past the pass rush, uh, defensive line looked good against a really good Colts offensive line, especially, you know, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson. Some really good players there. Steelers defensive line held their own. They didn't get run on. This was a game if the Steelers were going to be exposed for a run defense, this would have been a game for it. It wasn't. A big reason why they won. Because of that. When we look at the Steelers' safety, we already talked a little bit about Terrell Edmonds. And we look at the usage of DeMonte Kazi. We've talked so much about the potential of a three safety, a big nickel, all these plays. Oh, man. It's frustrating to me that we're seeing that so little. We saw the three safeties on the field together four times in this game. The rest of the time, it was... Well, I should say four times outside of dime packages. Right now, DeMonte Kazi is getting like 10 snaps a game that Trey Norwood wouldn't have gotten. That's really what he's doing. He's seeing 8 to 10 snaps a game that Trey Norwood wouldn't have gotten. Uh, this game, Terrell Edmonds sat for a number of plays where it was more passing, obvious passing downs. Took him off the field, gave him a little break. He, he missed 8 snaps. And uh, DeMonte Kazi played every dime snap, those eight snaps in play, replacement of Terrell Edmonds, and then four more. It's not really something the Steelers are using. They started this game worried more about the pass game. You saw uh, James Pierre come in, play well for a lot of the game. He was coming in on nickel packages. Uh, and Cameron Sutton would move to the slot. Late in the game, that switched to Arthur Millette instead of James Pierre. Arthur Millette came in in the nickel, and uh, Cameron Sutton stayed outside. I don't know if it was a planned thing where they were just like, we're going to play James Pierre until they figure out they can attack James Pierre, and then we'll switch it up so they can't attack James Pierre. <laughs> Uh, James Pierre is one of those guys, uh, he, he reminds me of like a, a quad A, what they call a quad A uh, baseball player, a guy who's in AAA, who tears it up in AAA, he's just dominant. Uh, when he comes to Major League Baseball, he disappears. Normally people like that, they have a flaw that they can make up for when the talent around them, the talent they're facing isn't too good. James Pierre... Inside of his physical capabilities, he's not fast. He's not a great athlete. 
for the NFL. He's not a high-end NFL athlete. When he's facing people who can't exploit that, James Pierre is actually really good. Really good when the ball stays in his court, when you know he can play his game. He's very good. When people can exploit his physical limitations, he becomes a liability. I like the player. Uh, I'd like to see them find ways to use him creatively, maybe in just bits and pieces in defenses and places where he can come in and play outside, be a stout run defender, a stout, really good against short passes. We saw that ridiculous interception. Uh, we've seen him consistently be really good defending in, in routes like like a cover two cornerback where mostly you're playing short zone man coverage on some short things, but you can pass off any deep routes to other people. You can pass off. You're not, and you're not covering a, you know, a Jamar chase. James Pierre does really well in those limited situations. Interesting thing we saw this week, Montrevious Adams actually played more than Chris Wormley in a game where Chris Wormley had a huge splash play. What a what a great play he made. Seeing, seeing Matt Ryan fall in the football, noticing the ball wasn't fully secure, jumping in there and pulling it away from him. Not just tapping him down, not slowing down like a lot of the other players did, but jumping in there and coming away with the football. I mean, it stands out that it was just him and Matt Ryan. The Colts offensive linemen, their other player, they, their running back didn't come back and try to fight for the ball. They saw Matt Ryan fall and thought, yep, he's got it. Chris Wormley didn't. And he went in, fought for the ball, won it, and gave the Steelers a possession. Huge, huge in a win like this. Huge play in a win like this. And yet this was the game, the first game this year, Montrevious Adams plays more snaps than Chris Wormley. Chris Wormley is not like he dropped from the S spot in the in the depth chart here for this game. Could be situationally. Again, they're worried about the run game. Uh, I like it because in a game where you're worried about the running back, uh, I'll again bring up the almost despite I need to I need to qualify this despite having a lot of good run defense snaps, if you look at the plays where a running back is just running through a giant hole for massive gains, almost every time Chris Wormley is getting absolutely destroyed on that play and just blown out of a hole. Linemen are getting to linebackers, big game. He has a lot of good run defense snaps, but when he has bad ones, they tend to be very bad, and costly. This Steelers defense has some serious weaknesses. One I haven't covered yet, uh, Levi Wallace. I talk about James Pierre. Levi Wallace is better than James Pierre, but it has a similar problem with his limitations. He's not able to run with people deep. He is not fast enough. He's a good football player who's just not fast enough to be a, a high-end cornerback. Steelers have several of those players and are trying to play more man defense 
I kind of, <laughs> you know, you kind of sit there and look at that and you're like, I don't, that doesn't quite line up when you're getting guys who have coverage limitations and man, but when they can zone off, when they can, when you can do pattern matching, you know, they, they're able to cover routes that they can cover better. They're great. But when you put them just on an island, they can't handle high-end athletes at the wide receiver position. Obviously, the linebacker situation is, there's some problems there. And I think one of the big problems is that the Steelers are relying on their linebackers a lot because they have to help their cornerbacks. I, I honestly think this defense could be much, much better with just a legit number one cornerback, not a not a star cornerback, right? Just a legit number one. I'm not even I'm not even going as high as Ike Taylor. You know, a Steven Nelson. 2017 uh, Joe Hayden, guys like that that aren't going to be making Pro Bowls, aren't going to be, you know, talked about on, on television, but are just good number one cornerbacks would make a huge difference on this defense. It would allow help to shift other places. You've got plenty of talent for the number two cornerback slot. You'd be fine. You'd actually have a really deep cornerback room. I still, still want to see a really high-end defensive lineman, a young stud defensive lineman brought in. The defensive line is playing solidly, but they... (sighs) T.J. Watt, if you watch the film, T.J. Watt is getting pressure. Matt Ryan is stepping up in the pocket. His... The Steelers' defensive line, Adams, Hayward, Ogunjobi, were all, they were able to hold their own in the run, and they were able to hold their own in the pass game, but they weren't the force that we're used to seeing on that Steelers' defensive line. The kind of push they used to get, collapsing the pocket, so the quarterback had to often step back to get away from the defensive lineman right towards the rush of a T.J. Watt. Bud Dupree, Alex Highsmith. Now we're seeing them be able to step up to avoid that rush. That makes it a lot harder on the pass rush. That makes it a lot harder on the defensive backs. I truly believe that this team is a number one cornerback and a stud young defensive lineman away from being a phenomenal defense. I think a lot of the other problems you see on this defense disappear when you add those pieces. And you can shift help other places and you can offer more help. This defense is going to be interesting to watch the rest of the season. They're not great. I'm very interested to see them against Baltimore. The rematch against the Browns. Really interested to see what they're able to bring what Terrell Austin and Brian Flores are able to do with this defense. I really think they've got a lot of good pieces here. I think they're just missing a few, and they're costly ones. That's my thoughts on the defense. 
They make enough plays. They made enough plays. They played well enough to win. They're not really. There's there's still some some serious flaws though in this defense. Thank you for listening to my show. Here, make sure you're checking out the other podcasts on the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. Make sure you're clicking over to behindthesteelcurtain.com, reading articles over there, keeping up with all your Steelers news and insights as we continue this 2022 Steelers season that is a very different season (laughs) than what we're used to. But that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. We can't learn. We can't watch. We can't see this team grow and enjoy that aspect of football. Again, thank you for listening. Have a great week. And as always, let's go Steelers. Steelers.